Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me, Bill Arnold, and I'm so glad that this is uh, now that time of the afternoon where the mic turns on and we're together. So I'm looking forward to spending time with you today. Hope your day's been well. I hope uh, there's lots of things going on in the news. I'm going to cover that with Doug Blair in just a minute. And then Scott Harbert's coming in the studio, and he's got an article he's written that we're going to talk about, about how God's Word is worth it. And now studying is not easy, but trust me, you're going to be glad you do it. And then Hour 2 is ahead as well, and Mark Atterbury is going to be joining me with some really good news. And Cal Beisner is going to talk about what's going on in the climate world, climate change world. And there's all kinds of things to learn today. I hope uh, you've got time to spend it with me. And if you miss any of the show, you know you're always welcome to go to the podcast. Check it out. A lot of people... We'll listen to it on an evening walk or maybe uh, at the gym or you find a better time to listen than right now because you're working. So anyway, Doug Blair is a news producer for The Daily Signal, also a co-host of The Daily Signal podcast. Doug, welcome. Bill, it's always a pleasure to join you. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. I love having you on. And I'm looking at the news today briefly because I knew you were going to come on. And all I'm seeing is something about Mar-a-Lago raid. Would you tell us about that? Absolutely. So yesterday we received some relative, I mean, just unprecedented news about how the FBI and the Department of Justice had launched a raid onto President Trump's private residence, which is Mar-a-Lago in Florida. Uh, the reason given that we're, we're sort of hearing about is that it was to find classified documents. The Department of Justice is investigating uh, a National Archives report that after President Trump left the White House, he actually brought some documents with him to Mar-a-Lago that the, the National Archives claim he shouldn't have. Uh, so they were able to retrieve 15 boxes prior to this, uh, but the FBI and the Department of Justice were sent in to excuse me, to sort of make sure that everything else had been taken. The reason this is unprecedented is because this is the first time in history the private residence of a former president has been investigated by the FBI and the Department of Justice. So what we're seeing now is a pretty uh, strong response from GOP, from Republican representatives who say if they reclaim the House in November after the midterm elections, they will begin investigating Merrick Garland and the Department of Justice over this raid. So, Doug, when you see this headline last night, what was your thought? Were you stunned? I mean, I I couldn't believe what I was reading. I I couldn't imagine that this was going to happen. I think one of the things that we've been seeing a lot has been this uh, kind of rhetoric coming from the mainstream media and from a lot of Democratic politicians who have said the walls are closing in. Um, you know, Trump is going to become indicted. And a lot of that seems to have not necessarily played out. We saw that cases involving tax fraud in New York sort of fell by the wayside. We saw a lot of the January 6th stuff seems to not be going necessarily how the Democrats want it to be. But this is such a major step that Mm -hmm. a lot of people are wondering if there's going to be more, if we're going to hear more about what in particular the FBI found at Mm Mar-a-Lago. Yeah, it is pretty shocking to think, you know, if he had documents, would that be the the natural step to take? Do you call 
him and say, Mr. Trump, uh, can you return some documents that we believe you have? Uh, was he well, not well, being cooperative? Was he willfully hiding something? That's a great question, Bill, because again, one of the things, too, that we've been talking about here at the Heritage Foundation, when I asked some of our, our legal experts, you know, what is the implication of this? They said that this was such a severe step because they could have subpoenaed him, right? Mm. They could have said, we're subpoenaing these documents. We're going to go in and, and, you know, if you need to provide these documents for us, taking this step is a pretty intense uh, indication that they believe there's more there. So this is definitely not the end of this story. We're going to continue hearing about this for the next couple of days. Uh, but at the moment, I think what your listeners should be aware of is that this is completely unprecedented. This has never happened before in history. And there are some very, very severe consequences, regardless of whether or not they find something. Mm-hmm. Doug Blair's my guest. He's the news producer for The Daily Signal. You can learn more about uh, Doug at DailySignal.com. He's also the co-host of the Daily Signal podcast. And if you have any questions for him, what's going on in the news, and you'd like a perspective, uh, you can just send the over the question over via a text to 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. So, Doug, maybe just give me an update on this trip that Nancy Pelosi took uh, and how it relates to Taiwan and China and what's going on. Absolutely. So this trip to Taiwan seems to have been the most confusing thing ever. I mean, we were hearing conflicting reports from the White House about whether or not this was happening. We were hearing conflicting reports from the White House about whether it was a good idea that it was happening. But Nancy Pelosi did end up visiting the island of Taiwan. She's the highest visiting government official who has been to the island in a in a long time. I believe the last person of that status to visit Taiwan was Newt Gingrich all that time ago. Mm. Uh, so this indicates to you that this isn't something that happens very frequently. The question of whether or not this was a, was acceptable or was a provocation is sort of the debate between China and the U.S. Obviously, the United States uh, has a vested interest in maintaining Taiwan Taiwanese independence, maintaining Taiwanese separation from China. The Chinese, however, have been markedly more aggressive in possibly making indications that they're going to invade the island in the near future. So this visit was sort of along the lines of, of affirming that America would be there, that America was going to uh, try and maintain Taiwan's sovereignty. However, there is some debate over whether or not this was appropriate, given that the U.S. does have a one-China policy. Officially, the position is that Taiwan and China are, are, are both China and that they are the same entity. However, there's sort of this uh, you know, wink-nudge understanding that Taiwan is not officially part of China. However, we, we refer to them on the world stage. So this visit caused a lot of, of, of issues. However, we're not quite sure if this means that the Biden administration is shifting policy. It seems like the way that they've, they've said things, that's not the case. But obviously, the, the, the speaker has done this, and that, that means that China has to respond as well. Mm-hmm. I understand that Indiana, the lovely state of Indiana, is the, one of the first states that are completely banning abortion. What can we learn about that? Correct. So obviously, post Dobbs, there was a lot of rumor uh, kind of mongering that there was going to be a bunch of states that started to ban abortion. And Indiana is the first state that has post Roe, post Dobbs, decided to fully ban abortion. Abortion is completely illegal in the state. Uh, One of the things that we'll start to see in the near future is probably a lot of copycat states that start to look at these types of laws and say, yes, we're going to apply those on the books. 
One of the things that also differentiates Indiana from a lot of the other states that had abortion bans or partial abortion bans is that those were so-called trigger laws, right? The, the legislation existed on the books prior to the Dobbs decision and prior to Roe v. Wade being overturned. They were just waiting for that moment when the Supreme Court ended up striking that down. So these were, these were laws that were passed in the 80s, the 90s, the early 2000s that were then able to go into effect as a result of this happening. So Indiana is the first state to actually formally pass that type of law as opposed to having it be a trigger law. Mm-hmm. Again, Doug Blair is my guest. He is a writer at thedailysignal.com. Go to dailysignal.com and also check out his podcast, The Daily Signal Podcast. And if you have a question for Doug, let me know, 877-933-2484. I'm curious, Doug, about the monkey pox. I know I think there has been some uh, additional funding for it. And it does primarily affect gay men. Are, why are we scared to say it? Uh, it's a great question, Bill, because one of the things that's kind of uh, interesting about how this, this particular virus is being handled versus how COVID was being handled is the sort of lengths that it seems public health officials are willing to go to to avoid offending people. Uh, with COVID, it seemed like there was this massive push to say this affects everybody. We're going to make these massive changes, including forced masking and for, including forced vaccination. Uh, otherwise, you know, you would lose your job or you wouldn't be able to go out in the public. With monkeypox, even though we have this data that is very, very clear, I mean, public health officials aren't even denying that this is the case. They're just not saying it. Uh, 95 to 90 percent, 98 percent, excuse me, of cases of monkeypox are in men who are having sexual relations with other men. So it's pretty clear that this is a community that is being disproportionately impacted by the virus. But one of the things that we at the Heritage Foundation have been pushing for is a is a coordinated response that acknowledges that reality. Uh, we're not going to impact people that aren't going to be affected by this virus. That means children. That means uh, women. That means heterosexual you know, men. It's mostly gay men. And we're starting to see that a lot of health administrators are, are not willing to go to the lengths to ban uh, activities that are facilitating the spread of this. One thing that we wrote about uh, at the Daily Signal was an event that happened in San Francisco. This was a well-known uh, parade in, in downtown San Francisco where men engage in sexual activities with other men. Uh, and San Francisco decided to let that go on. And so I think one of the things that we need to be paying attention to is what's actually causing the spread of this virus, what are public health officials telling us, and then how can you keep yourself safe? And, I mean, it seems like the pretty obvious consensus is don't engage in that type of activity. Yeah. Let me take a break. When I come back, Doug, I want to ask you about the Respect for Marriage Act. This is something that has recently come up with House Democrats and 47 Republicans last week passed legislation under which the federal government would recognize any marriage if it is legally performed in any of the 50 states. When we come back, I'll have Doug talk about that. Uh, Doug Blair is my guest. Go to DailySignal.com. Be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. Thank you for welcoming me into your car or your home, whatever you're doing today, wherever you are, welcome. 
We're talking a little bit of news today, which I, we do on Tuesdays with the uh, Heritage Foundation. Doug Blair is my guest. He's a writer at the Daily Signal. And right before break, I sort of suggested that uh, we would chat about this Respect for Marriage Act. And it seems that uh, the House Democrats and, what is it, 47 Republicans uh, passed legislation uh, which would recognize any marriage if it's legally performed. What does this uh, mean, Doug? I mean, I think that that last part is so important for people to recognize, because one of the things that we've been paying attention to here is that that law is not particularly well written. The idea that a, a law that is passed in a single state then becomes law across the land becomes incredibly problematic when you think of the ways that that could be abused. So, for example, let's say a state decides to legalize polygamy and says that, that polygamy is a legal form of marriage. It comes with the benefits uh, that are endowed by the state onto a marriage. Therefore, you know, that is now an acceptable form of marriage at the federal government. I spoke with one of our experts uh, about e- an even worse concept. What if a state like California decides to legalize marrying an animal? Uh, that would then become legal at the federal level simply because California, one state out of 50, mm. legalized that process. Wow. So uh, there are definitely concerns that we have about this law other than the implications uh, around what I mean, the Heritage Foundation believes that a marriage is between a man and a woman, but there are even implications past that. Mm-hmm. And is there a, a poll recently, Doug, that that's talking about term limits for the Supreme Court justices? There is. So this is something very interesting because the polling data suggests that Americans are overwhelmingly in favor of term limits for Supreme Court justices. Now, very important to note that this term, this, this polling data came out after the Dobbs decision, which is uh, incredibly controversial. The fact is that a lot of people were not happy with that decision. So the polling data is probably reflecting a response to how people viewed that that decision. The interesting thing about that, though, is that even if the American people are in favor of it, it would be very difficult to get a term limit passed. The Constitution is quite clear that the Supreme Court justices serve for life. Therefore, the only way to affect a change that would give a a term limit to a Supreme Court justice would be with a constitutional amendment. Uh, It is unlikely in a divided country like ours that that type of amendment would be able to pass. Obviously, the Senate uh, is, is so divided right now that that would be very difficult to get done. But um, it, it just seems like there is something in the air around what the Supreme Court is doing right now that isn't resonating with a lot of Americans. So I appreciate that answer, Doug. Thank you for that. Um, when I um, uh, look at some of the some of the things about uh, inflation, and I'm looking at some of the bills that are, that are being that are being passed. And this inflation reduction, uh, words are pretty important. It's it's kind of a smokescreen to think this is going to reduce inflation, because I think I heard about 200 economists say it's not going to reduce inflation. Bill, that is the the million dollar answer. It is not. It, it's the, the worst named bill. Uh, probably in recent memory, because it is while it is called the Inflation Reduction Act, it actually has zero provisions in it that would that would decrease inflation. Uh, in fact, there are many infl- uh, things in the bill that would increase inflation. So, currently, the way we're looking at it is a climate, uh, energy, and uh, you know, a, a, an IRS tax bill. So, basically, the three main provisions are. There's a lot of uh, provisions in the bill for climate change. That would be something along the lines of increasing green energy, uh, you know, punishing companies for not 
you know, transmitting themselves and, and turning themselves into more green industries. Uh, but then the big one, of course, that everybody's thinking about, too, is the tax thing. So mm-hmm. the IRS would be would have 87,000 more employees added to its rosters. The administration claims that this would be used specifically to target the ultra wealthy and the rich. However, the way that it generally seems to work out is that audits get targeted towards lower and middle class people. And I'm sure many of your listeners are aware and remember very distinctly, the Obama administration weaponized the IRS to target conservative organizations. Right. So one of the things we're concerned about here is that that's going to happen again and that they'll be much more effective now that they have a bolstered staff. And, Doug, I think the average person who files their taxes, I remember seeing a story on the news years ago. I think it was 60 Minutes, and they sent the same tax information to eight different accountants and they came back with eight very different returns. And I thought, well, what happens when you hit that send button thinking I've done the best job I know how and have been as truthful as possible? And then you get audited going, ooh, what if I didn't do it right? Correct. I mean, that's the, the sort of big worry here, right, is that an innocent American is going to have to go through the ringer yeah. uh, because the IRS messes up their tax return. Or they, they, they discover an anomaly or do something that doesn't necessarily align with the reality of the return. Um, again, the Biden administration has continuously tried to downplay those types of concerns. They'll say, Again, like I mentioned, this is only going to target the ultra-wealthy and the ultra-rich. Uh, they say that it's going to expedite the process. If you are wrongfully audited, it'll, it'll make things go away. Uh, but we've seen in the past, again, even with these promises that they're only specifically targeting certain demographics and certain groups, as well as they're saying that they're going to focus on getting these, these procedures done much more quickly, that just doesn't happen. I mean, there are horror stories of people that have to go through months to even years of litigation over the IRS's mistake. And at the very end, the IRS might admit, oops, we made a mistake. But then you still have all those legal fees. You still have all that time wasted. You still have all these issues that you had to go through because the IRS made a mistake and you didn't. So that's the big concern here that we'll start to see that increase in frequency. Mm -hmm. Doug Blair is my guest. He hates hearing his name, but I'm going to say it anyway. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I know you do. Uh, We have to jump back to a previous topic because a question came in. I'd love love for you to answer. And the question is this, why is the USA sending Speaker of the House to Taiwan on such a delicate situation? Does she have the skills or power to make decisions on foreign policy? Never heard of the Speaker of the House ever doing this before, unlike President, Vice President, Secretary of State. That's a wonderful question, and and it sort of gets to the reality of what this administration seems to have a problem with, which is internal communication. One of the things that we, we saw pretty consistently during this whole situation was that the White House either wasn't sure or was maybe in the background telling the, the speaker not to go. But at the end of the day, the speaker made the decision to go to Taiwan, it seems, almost of her own accord. Uh, whether or not that was appropriate is sort of up to the to, to the, the beholder. But it, it is interesting because she, as a as an individual, does not have the power to make foreign policy decisions. Right? She's not the Secretary of State. She's not a member of the executive branch. Therefore, she isn't able to pass unilateral change on a foreign policy level. The only thing that it sort of does is sort of give the impression that Americans are concerned about Taiwan's. Uh, security. And now one of the things that we did see post uh, Nancy Pelosi's visit is support from congressional Republicans. You know, many, many Republicans came out and supported the speaker's decision to go and visit as a reminder to China that we have this belief that Taiwan should remain independent. But yes, from a practical, pragmatic standpoint, nothing officially can change as a result of the speaker's visit to Taiwan. Mm -hmm. You wrote an interesting article at the Daily Signal about 
uh, no fun allowed, how the left became the fun police. Uh, oh, I think the title sort of speaks for itself. Well, yeah, um, they used to be the ones doing all the comedy. Not so much anymore. It's true. And yeah. I think one of the most fascinating things about that discussion that I had with that author was basically how this shift sort of changed from the 90s where the, the right was considered to be sort of the fun police, right? We can sort of think of the moral majority. Sure. Uh, you can think of the sort of bans on Dungeons and Dragons or video games or all these things. Uh, and the left used to be the one that was pro-free speech. You think of the Berkeley uh, free speech sort of uh, incidents where, where students were protect, protesting for free speech. You think of how a lot of these comedians like a George Carlin would be out there and, and sort of pushing the envelope. What we saw is that as the moral majority started to fade into the background, as a lot of people sort of felt like the moral majority was not uh, was not an appropriate response to the moment, the left actually came in and filled that space. And they became what the, the author of this book calls the new Puritans where they basically go back and say that they have a moral duty to censor and to prevent unacceptable content, such as what they perceive as racism, such as what they perceive as bigotry, from ever approaching uh, polite conversation again. And that's how they sort of got to this point where they're the phone police. If you say something that they find offensive, uh, they're going to ban you from the platform. They're going to ban you from polite society, which, uh, as we can see, has been very disastrous for uh, the, the structure of the country. Mm-hmm. Doug, one of my very practical listeners, uh, who's a very practical thinker named Sue, says, with regard to the IRS in the new bill, where do they think they will find 87,000 people who want to work? <laughs> That's a great question because, I mean, a lot of these places can't even find people to work at, like, the Target or the Safeway. I know, I know. Um, it's an excellent question and something we've sort of been pondering here. Uh, our hope is that they won't be able to find 87,000 more bureaucrats to take those positions, but the government often finds a way. Uh, the plan actually doesn't include a tactic to recruit these new employees. It basically just says we're going to do it. Um, I, I think that's kind of where we honestly have to leave it at that point and just sort of trust that they're not yeah. going to be able to do it. I would hope that they are, are you know, only able to recruit a couple of thousand or maybe not even any at all, but – I guess we'll have to see where that goes. Yeah. Doug, we just have a minute left. I'd love for you to close it out with a little word of encouragement that a civilization uh, can't survive without faith. I think that that's a really wonderful thing to end on, though, and I'm so glad you did, because it's so important for us to have these religious values that guide us and that, that bring us towards something bigger, right? Yeah. One of the things that brings me to faith is this meaning that I gain from my relationship with Christ. I believe that I'm doing this for something bigger than myself, right? I work. I, I love my yes. friends and my family and my, my girlfriend as a result of Christ putting that love into me. And if somebody who, who doesn't have that faith or is looking and struggling to find meaning in their life wants to find a way to look at things more positively, they should really look into finding a relationship with Christ and finding a relationship with God. Because I can tell from personal experience, my life has been infinitely better since I began that journey and since I began that relationship with him. Amen. He hates me saying his name, but Doug Blair has been my guest. <laughs> You can go check it out at dailysignal.com. Doug, have a great rest of the day. You too, Bill. Uh, you bet. All right. Coming up next, Scott Hubbard's going to be here with me in studio. We're going to talk about how meaningful it is to be in God's Word. It's not easy to do. It's hard work, but it's worth it. That's all next.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. God has carved only one path to the human heart, and it runs through the mind. And that's what we're going to be talking about today with Scott Hubbard. He is my guest uh, in studio. He has written an article at DesiringGod.org, because that's where he works. He's an editor there, and he has uh, written an article called The Word of God is Worth the Work. And we know that, and he knows that, and that's what we're going to talk about. Scott, welcome. It's good to be here. Yeah, I always look forward to having you here. And uh, I, you're a great communicator and, and thoughtful writer, and I can't wait to dig into this. Yeah, looking forward to talking about it. Yeah. Well, let's get started. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. Um, yeah, there's this tendency probably in a lot of us, and who knows how generational it is, who knows how recent it is. It's probably age old, I assume, maybe with some uh, increases over time, but there can be a tendency to want to experience emotionally or spiritually, the thrills that come from knowing Jesus, trusting God, knowing the Bible, having the Bible, Mm -hmm. all the while bypassing some of the hard, sometimes grueling, but necessary work to get there, the mental effort Mm. that it takes to get there. And that sort of pattern, wanting the spiritual thrill without the spiritual or mental effort can produce some wonky things along the way. Well, you're taxing my brain right now, but go ahead. <laughs> you're making me think hard, but I suppose that's part of the point of this whole t- this whole interview. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I was uh, there's this quote that I include in the article from the late J.I. Packer. I, I love J.I. Packer, and he just had a way of putting things that was so pithy and helpful. And I certainly felt. Uh, diagnosed by what he says here in his book, A Quest for Godliness, which is a book on the on the Puritans, so 17th century English Christians. And he talks about how they can be so helpful for people in our day who often veer off into what he calls restless experientialism. Okay. So he says, these kinds of people, they value strong feelings above deep thoughts. They have little taste for solid study, humble self-examination, disciplined meditation, and unspectacular hard work in their callings and their prayers. They conceive the Christian life as one of extraordinary, exciting experiences rather than resolute, rational righteousness. Okay, that was a big piece of hard candy. (laughs) That's got to roll around in your mouth a little bit. Let's maybe try that one more time. They value strong feelings above deep thoughts. Yeah, Mm, that's right. Okay, they have little taste for a solid study, humble self-examination, Disciplined meditation and unspectacular hard work in their callings and their prayers. Wow. Yeah. And I think there can be, you know, part of what fosters this kind of uh, emotional thrill seeking or spiritual uh, seeking spiritual feelings apart from mental effort is we can, I think, and one, all of us are going to tend one way or the other, but we can separate the affections or the emotions and the mind to an unhelpful degree such that uh, sometimes, you know, some of us are a little bit suspicious of, of the mind or serious mental Mm -hmm. effort. And sometimes for good reason, because we've met people or we've seen people who 
uh, know a ton about the Bible and seem to have very little genuine love for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's then the the people that Packer is trying to diagnose, though, are people on the other side who may be in reaction to that kind of academic stodginess or, or stiffness have said, well, I'm not going to have anything to do with that. And so they're seeking experiences, they're seeking wow. emotions, and they do it at the expense of serious thought and study. Mm-hmm. And what Packer's getting at here and what I argue in the article is that the two go together. Yeah. So they, they're looking for a shortcut. They're looking, there's never a shortcut. No. Um, they want the thrill. They want the experience. They want the feel-good moment. But that is no substitute for solid study, humble self-examination, and deep thoughts. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And so like you said, you quoted earlier, that God has carved only one path to the human heart, and that is through the mind. So there, it's, it's an image, if you will, of which I tar- um, talk at the beginning of the article about hiking and how you can't separate the thrill of the summit from the grueling and long path that it takes to get there. You can't always separate the two. Yeah. And similarly in Scripture, the path to the kind of summit experiences of joy and worship in Christ almost always go through the the long and winding path. That's why I take the helicopter ride to the summit. (laughs) (laughs) Now, skip that walk up to the top, right? Well... No. <laughs> <laughs> That's the whole point. Scott Hubbard yeah. is my guest. He's an editor at DesiringGod.org. And the article that we're talking about today is over there at DesiringGod.org. And it's called The Word of God is Worth the Work. And we completely agree. And he was just quoting a very profound quote from J.I. Packer. Uh, he was a, um, a Quest for Godliness is the name of the book. So um, let's keep talking about how there will be um, to, to be sure, you say, a Christian is nothing without sincere spiritual affections, but God has carved only one path to the human heart, and that goes through the mind. So that's that's my one of my profound thoughts I'm putting in the brown paper bag and taking home tonight. <laughs> yeah, that's on, I mean, it would be helpful probably for us all to remember and to keep those two things in mind, that there is a path, and there is a destination. And some of us are enamored with the path. We're enamored with thinking, study, reflection, and we actually don't get to the destination of genuine worship and, th- and a, th- a heart thrilled with Jesus Christ. And some of us are so enamored with the destination <laughs> that we aren't willing to walk the path. And, um, you know, one of the pieces that I start off with is that, you know, on the hiking analogy, you mentioned just a, a minute ago that you can just take a helicopter to, to the top of the mountain. <laughs> and... I have had the experience in growing up in Colorado where they have these mountains called 14ers, 14,000 feet above sea level. And there are 57, 58, what are there? There are 58 of them. And 57 of them, you have to hike your way there, but one of them you can drive up to the top. Oh, cool. And I've driven up to the top of this mountain, Pikes Peak, and I've hiked several of them. And one of the pieces from that experience, as some people might imagine, is that there's a vast difference between hiking to the top of 14,000 feet and driving there. And similarly, I would say there can be a massive difference between, take Romans 8, for example. Romans 8 is like the summit of a great mountain. And there can be a difference, a big difference between just airdropping into Romans 8 and reading it on its own versus climbing the path from Romans 1.1 all the way through Romans 7 then getting to Romans 8, the experience is different, even though the view is exactly the same in one sense. Yeah, 
Even though in the car you can take an extra large beverage. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, you can. You can I mean you can fill your camel back with uh, I'm sure I'm sure you can. <laughs> so, I love bright minds burning hearts. Say something about that. Yeah, so thinking here of Jesus on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples. Mm-hmm. And one of the arresting phrases from that account is that once they actually realize that it was Jesus with them the whole time, they say to one another, were not our hearts burning on the road while he opened to us the scriptures. And so there is a beautiful picture of the kind of thing we as Christians are after. We are after the burning heart. We're after that kind of worship, that kind of zeal for Christ. And uh, yet, Watch how Jesus gets them to the point where their hearts are burning. Here's what we read in Luke 24. How did they get to the, to the place where their hearts burned? They say, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened to us the scriptures? And then Luke gives us a, a sense of what it means that Jesus opened to them the scriptures. He says, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So, interpretation isn't a very uh, thrilling word. But here, Luke is saying, how do they get burning hearts? They got there through interpreting the Old Testament through a Christ-centered lens or having Jesus interpret it for them. So before their minds burned with love for Christ, their minds were bright with the truth about Christ. And the burning only came from the brightness. So that's what I'm getting at there. I really like that. I I like the way you've put these two together. That's... That's peanut butter and jelly sandwich right there. <laughs> Bright minds, burning hearts. You get yeah. there by your mind. Yeah, that's yeah. right. There's no way their hearts are going to burn, Luke is leading us to right. believe, unless they understood how Christ was present in all the scriptures, which surely took some serious mental labor. All right, all right. I've, I've got my money's worth. I mean, I, you can go, but I don't want you to because we still have more time. Okay, we can talk still. But You're willing to stay? Uh, yeah, sure. Oh, good, because this is really interesting. I love that the scriptures were opened. I love the idea that it is going to take work. And this should be a joyful thing for us, not a burden, right? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. It should be joyful knowing that the end of this is a burning heart. Right. And that along the way, it's not only, uh, you know, not only really tough labor, but there are sights of Christ to be had. Mm-hmm. I think in your article, which is over at DesiringGod.org, Scott Hubbard is the author and the article is called The Word of God is Worth the Work. You can go over to DesiringGod.org and find the article yourself. But in this article, we do uh, you do draw a conclusion from the J.I. Packer. I would love for you to share that. Yeah, so Packer goes on and he says that man was made to know God with his mind and to desire what he knows about God with his affections and then to cleave to that with his will. So God moves us not by direct action on the affections or will, but by addressing our mind with his word. And so bringing to bear on us the force of truth. That's Packer. So he's saying that there is a path, there is a progression that God takes and it goes from mind to affections to will. And that throughout the scriptures, you don't see God bypassing the mind to hit the affections or the will but always going through the mind first on his way there. Mm-hmm. Do you mind if I quote you here from the article? Sure. All right. Scott Hubbard says, Deep Christian feeling is supernatural to be sure, but it is not the product of spontaneous spiritual combustion. Rather, our affections catch 
true fire only when our souls are full of truth's kindling and the spirit lights the flame. Yeah. What are you, some kind of writer? Well, <laughs> <laughs> just, just you know, here I am trying to put, put words together. You, you do it. Bill, you got to say that again. It was so good. What, the, what I just read? Yeah, it's, a, it's so good. All right, I'll say it again. Deep Christian feeling is supernatural, to be sure, but it is not the product of spontaneous spiritual combustion. Rather, our affections catch true fire only when our souls are full of truth's kindling and the spirit lights the flame. Yeah, I mean, I'm as guilty as this as any other, I think, of pursuing affections by spontaneous spiritual combustion, namely pursuing it outside the path of thinking carefully about right. God and, and laying out truth in the soul. You know, um, and there are all kinds of all kinds of ways we do this, but we can go on to talk about that yeah. perhaps. All right. Um, I think I'll take a break because I, I need a break right now. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I have to process what we just talked about, and I'm going to put it in my brown paper bag, and I'm going to take it home and think about it some more. Okay. I don't see a brown bag, but... Well, yeah. that's... Don't let my listeners know that because... <laughs> Rosie, go get me a brown paper bag, would you? <laughs> it's on the way. Thank you. All right, Scott Hubbard's my guest. He's at DesiringGod.org, and we are uh, talking about the Word of God is worth the work. We all agree here in the studio. We'll be right back. We want to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We're creating encouraging posts every day to help you focus on the important things as you spend time on social media. From graphics that feature Bible verses and quotes from our hosts and show guests, to articles about topics you are interested in, to videos from our hosts. Search Faith Radio on social media sites to connect with us today. that noise oh it's a brown paper bag <laughs> sorry scott 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 hubbard is my guest we're talking about how important god's word is and the word of god is worth the work because you will work and should work at growing close to god because he says god has carved only one path to the human heart and it runs through the mind we did have some references to mountain climbing in this uh, discussion so far scott so maybe you could talk about how to summit scripture yeah so try to break this down into a few suggestions. There are many that we could probably linger over, but just three of them here. Three practices or ways of approaching the scriptures that help us to walk along that path that goes through the mind to the heart rather than trying to, you know, do a quick drive up to the summit, that kind of thing. So the first of them is to not pass over the hard places. Don't pass over the hard places. And this comes in part from Luke 24, where we've been talking about Jesus on the road to Emmaus with the two disciples. And it says that he opened to them, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself, all the scriptures. Wow. We all pass over the hard stuff, don't we? <laughs> it is so tempting to, isn't it? When you well, come... didn't you at one point in your life? Yeah. At, at points I have for sure passed over. Oh, I places. have too? Yeah. Or at, at the very least, I don't know, I'm kind of one of those like... 
uh, I feel responsible. And so I feel like I have to read something if I've started it, but there's at least this sense lurking in the back of my head of like, well, I am really eager to get past this. (laughs) And so, uh, but if you think about what, what is all the scriptures, all the scriptures is Genesis and Isaiah. It's Leviticus and Kings. Mm -hmm. It's Deuteronomy and Psalms. It is all of the old Testament, even those parts that we are prone to pass over. And I take Leviticus just as a kind of classic example. That's the book and all sorts of one-year Bible reading plans. People have gotten to Leviticus and thought, oh my. And there are things in the book of Leviticus that make way and make sense of the gospel of Jesus in ways that we wouldn't be able to make sense of otherwise. And so even in a book like Leviticus... Uh, there are hard places abundantly in the book of Leviticus, but it is one of those paths that God takes us down that reaches, believe it or not, to the heart eventually. And we are not going to get there. And ironically, we're not going to get to the kind of deep emotional highs that we could have otherwise if we're not willing to pass through sometimes for days, sometimes even for weeks, material or terrain that feels a little more rugged like Leviticus. And if we have the kind of patience like the disciples on the road with Jesus is interpreting them in all the scriptures, if we have the kind of patience to learn from Jesus how even Leviticus speaks to us of him, then there's a summit on the other side of this that's going to be awesome. Wow. Love it. So let's slow down enough to see. Yeah, that's the second piece. Slow, slow down enough to see. There can be another tendency among some of us. I'm certainly in this category where uh, you kind of think of your Bible reading. This especially gets into the kind of checkbox checkbox mindset where Bible reading is merely a matter of getting through your material for the day. And so slowing down, taking on an unhurried pace can feel counterproductive. Mm -hmm. And yet, again, if you just think of the analogy that I think is illuminating of going on a hike, part of the beauty there of why you walk rather than drive is that you see things along the way going at a slower pace that you wouldn't be able to notice otherwise. You see flowers, you see birds' nests in the branches, you see little views through the trees that you totally miss if you're going at a fast pace, and especially if you're just dropping in at the summit. And so uh, some of the richest experiences of Bible reading for me are coming across little details in the text that are only observable by the slow pace of walking through it rather than trying to drive or speed your way through it. Mm. So an example, somewhat recently reading the very familiar section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about loving your enemies. And he says, love your enemies so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven for he makes his son rise on the evil and the good. And there was something about that description where Jesus doesn't say he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good, but he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good. And that pronoun that it, it is God's son. He raises the sun morning by morning. He lowers it evening by evening. And the image that came to my mind is that God, like a father turning on the lights in his child's bedroom, this world is God's, the sun is God's. And that was just an example that, that reoriented my day thinking of, wow, the sun that I'm walking under is God's son. He made it. He sheds the light abroad on the earth. He gives me the eyes to see. And that was a small detail that just changed my orientation for the day. Mm. Uh, I don't notice those things all the time. I wish I noticed them a lot more, 
but it's the kind of thing that takes a slow pace. So good. All right, Scott. Um, I love slow reading. I think it's an encouragement that we stop and take less in when we sit down versus going through your reading and checking the box. Yeah. If you got stuck on one sentence, stay there the whole time. Yeah, that's right. And that's... Marinate in it. Marinate in it. That's part of what the scriptures are talking about when they use the word meditation. Right. Is sitting in one place for a while and being willing to to be patient there to see what you can see. Because you can very often see many more things after being there for half an hour than being there for two minutes. Mm -hmm. All right, let's talk about patience. Yes. So all of this is really one way of saying a lot of our Bible reading could use more patience. Mm. And I think probably many of us come to the Bible. Part of the reason we read the Bible morning by morning or whenever you read is because we, we're needy. We need something for the day. We often feel like I need something for today, S- some help. And that can be uh, some of the draw of a devotional book, for example, which um, many of which are wonderful and one of which I use at times. But often the way that the scriptures root us down deep and make us strong like a tree and able to endure trials and suffering is not by giving us the kind of uh, quick upper for the day, but by over time, over days, over weeks, over months, over years, building in us the kind of panoramic view of the story of God that uh, is something that only comes over patience over the long haul as we hike day after day, step after step, and see more and more of the terrain that God is laying out in front of us. Or you can think of it like a mural, you know, Part of your morning Bible reading is seeing a little section of the story of God, a little section of the glory of Christ. It's not the whole thing. In some mornings, it's going to look a little more mysterious, a little more puzzling. It's not going to offer the sort of quick comfort Mm -hmm. that some other passages bring. But over time, you're going to see a mural, and that kind of thing is going to be awesome. Yeah, I think that's an important picture to have in our heads. You know, whenever you paint a big room, you always put floor cloths down so you protect the floor and you put stuff over the furniture because there's going to be paint everywhere. <laughs> and you yeah. know that sometimes that's that's the best the best way to do something is just prepare to be messy for a while and maybe yeah. lost and then maybe yeah. you're going to meditate on it for a long time and yeah. maybe you'll seek counsel with another believer. Yeah. Maybe you'll read a commentary, maybe you'll do all kinds of stuff. You look all every look up every cross reference you can find. Yeah, that's right. And that's slow work. And, it is slow work. Yep. And you might feel like giving up along the way. I, I <laughs> have only climbed a handful of, of 14ers. I'm not a mountaineer by any stretch of the imagination. And on some of them, I have felt like giving up, you know, along the hard stretches. And there is a sense in which that is really easy. to. It's easy to feel that way in Scripture, too, when you're passing over really tough places. Yeah. Um, your parents still live in Colorado. Do they, do they climb these mountains? Yeah, they, they do some hiking. Good for them. Yeah. It's, and they're obviously older than you. They, and I, <laughs> believe and I, it or not. I believe it or not. And I bet they don't want to quit. Older. They don't want to quit, do they? No, they go up to the mountains quite a bit. Yeah. Way to go, Marsha. Okay. Um, the question came in, let's see, about um, emotional. Uh, sometimes activity in the spirit is strongly emotional. What would you say about that? I would say amen to that. Okay. The spirit stirs our affections. He's 
sometimes called the spirit of joy. And so what I'm trying to say is that is not that the spirit doesn't produce deep emotion in us. He does. But that the path to experiencing um, true emotion, the kind of emotion that aligns with God's word, is the kind that runs through, runs through the mind, the kind that is built on the strong foundation of truth. Mm-hmm. And very encouraging, uh, Scott, as always. I got a nice comment um, about how timely this and encouraging this segment has been. Uh, so it's a great reminder that it, it is a lot of work. I saw an, I listened to an ad on the radio, I think it was a couple of days ago, about you take this online language study course, and in three weeks, the, the spokesman said, in three weeks, I was conversational on the streets of Paris. And I thought, no, you weren't. <laughs> no, <laughs> you right. weren't. We are so eager for a quick fix. We, we? are. Yeah. yeah. And the, the most worthwhile things, 99.9% of the time, take slow steps over the long haul. Yeah. That's so true. true There's no reading. shortcuts. Yeah. Every time I try to take a shortcut driving somewhere, it always costs me. That's a bad idea. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> All right, Scott. I appreciate you coming in. Always nice to see you. And thank you for uh, uh, your work today. It's been great. Great to be here. Yeah. Scott Hubbard's been my guest. He's at DesiringGod.org. Again, DesiringGod.org. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Mark Atterbury is going to join me. And I'm very much uh, looking forward to sharing with you the very, very good news he has. You're going to love these four words that are coming up uh, the next uh, in the next half hour. And then uh, Dr. Cal Beisner from the Cornwall Alliance Stewardship for Creation is going to be join- joining me. We're going to talk about the climate situation. And that's all next, coming up in the next hour. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.